guys, welcome back into a brand new episode of Dimming the Gaslight. My name is Mac, and thanks for coming in for the newest episode. So um, I did a fun one last week about going back to being pro se. Uh, I got a lot of messages from you guys about like, you know, good luck and support and stuff like that. And I really appreciate it. Um, it's not without the possibility of bringing Brittany back, um, perhaps even sooner than later. I mean, she's recovering really well and things are going well. But yeah, I had to go pro se and I had to go back to court. And uh, it all, you know, kind of worked out well. And um, I did have a great Thanksgiving with the kids. As I told you guys, I did have my kids overnight on Thanksgiving Eve to Thanksgiving Day. Um, we ended up going to the Thanksgiving Day Parade in New York City. Had an absolute blast. Um, so many great pictures and fun memories. And my son even said, like, it was really cute because, you know, for a long time I've gone without having my kids on the holidays. And Thanksgiving morning, you know, my son was so excited and he rolled over in bed. And he kind of poked at my dad, my back and he goes, dad. And he pointed to the, to my window where the light was. And he goes, I made it. And like, it was funny because like, that was his way of saying, like, I was so excited to, to get to Thanksgiving and go to the parade. And he, he points out the window and said, I made it. And I kind of had the same feeling as he did. Like I made it, you know, like I made it to ho the holidays with my kids overnights. And it's just so exciting for me. So, um, that's all really great. Uh, like I said, court went great. Um, I am getting a lot of outreach from you guys about helping organize your evidence. I got to say, it's a little overwhelming. Maybe I didn't plan on how many people would ask me to help them organize their evidence. I'm thinking about charging a rate to do it. I'm sorry, but I know Brittany said we do it pro se, but the amount of outreach that we've got, I don't think that's even possible. Um, so uh, I'll work it out. Um, I'm, I'm hoping I can help, but my time is you know limited and I might have to charge for it. So working on it, um, working on answering these emails. So I do have another guest on today, super cool account. And uh, her name is Mel. Mel and I connected two years ago. And it, and I'll tell you the story when we get into the podcast, you'll hear about it. But but one story that we didn't cover that I want to make sure that I get on this episode, I, you know, I told the story about how I was the macaroni king before I was dimming the gaslight and I made a burner account so that I can follow Instagram accounts. And it just so happened that Mel was the very first person that I talked to before I became Dimming the Gaslight. I forgot that I even did this, but this is a good lesson for everybody. Like, I just used to reach out to people when I was kicked out of my home and say, hey, like, this is what I'm going through. And, you know, you have a narcissistic abuse, you know, recovery page. And, you know, hopefully you can help me. And Mel was the very first person I ever talked to. I used to just fire out messages to people seeing if they would talk to me. And um, it was funny because my iCloud on my phone was linked to my son's iPad. So my ex-wife was able to see pictures I had screenshotted uh, of like Mel and I's conversation because it was like good nuggets of information. Like, and we had a good conversation one time. I said something like, it just feels good to know that my next did not get the best of me and I will be able to move on with my life. So I screenshotted that and because my iCloud was linked to my son's iPad when I was kicked out of my home, my next saw that. And what she did is she looked at Mel's page and she looked at her story. And then Mel sent me a picture of her story showing that my next had looked at it. And I was like, what the fuck? And that's how I had realized that my iCloud was connected to my son's iPad and my next can see it. So I had to quick delete a lot of stuff. But anyway, uh, I wanted to get that story on the record because I thought it was such a funny story. And uh, Mel has been super instrumental in my whole recovery. Such a good person, such a good friend. And uh, I really think you guys are going to like this episode. So check it out. All right, everybody. Welcome back into a brand new episode of Dimming the Gaslight. So this is super cool and sentimental for me, both at the same time. So I shared a story one time on this podcast about how I created a burner account when I'm still in my home and I called myself the macaroni king. And when I was the macaroni king, I started just, you know, reaching out to random people on the internet and saying, hey, I went through some shit and it seems like you're in the narcissist community. And I think maybe we like you could help me and I can help you and let's like compare some stories. So the very first person I ever reached out to ever in narcissism is on the show today. Her name is Mel. Mel, say hi to everybody. Hi, everybody. How's it going? <laughs> Yo, it is so fucking cool to have you here. It's kind of weird. I selfishly collect 
interviews of people that I admire, almost like chapters in my diary. And this podcast would feel so incomplete if I never had you on. Thanks. I appreciate it. <laughs> you, you hold sp- such a special place in my heart because you were the person who was there for me. Well, I mean, we were there for each other. Yeah. I was going through my first restraining order and I hadn't seen my kids at the time in like 40 plus days. And you were going through your shit and we were bouncing stories off of each other. And like you were my very first support system. So thank you so much for joining me today. Like I said, this podcast would feel so incomplete if you were never on. <laughs> Been a long time coming. We uh, we talked about it and then I was like, I don't know. I don't know if I could. Yeah. <laughs> I was- you know, it's funny. I remember when I said, you know, I was the macaroni king and I remember running it by you and saying, I'm going to start a podcast. I'm going to call it Dimming the Gaslight. And I'm like, would you ever be on? And you're like, fuck no. <laughs> I will never be on that show. I'm never going to tell my story. Fast forward to two years later, and here we are. Here we are. Here we are. And it's 10, 11 o'clock at night, just a, what, a couple of weeks ago. And I was like, okay, I'm ready. I'm just ready to tell my story. And not that I wasn't telling my story, like, you know, in texting or with other people in, you know, Instagram world and I had created my anonymous page and um what but, is your anonymous page while while we're on um, there? It is narc N A R C dot uh so it's narcissist, but after the N A R C it's a period and then underscore survivor. Okay. So N A R C period assist underscore survivor. Yeah. Right. So that's <laughs> yeah. you on that's you on Instagram and it's a great page. I've been following it, like I said, I mean probably the first page I ever followed. So I wanted to bring you on the show because, I mean, let's let's be honest. You and I, we we were talking day in, day out, 24 hours a day around the clock. But um, I want to get kind of a refresher on your story because, my oh my, how far you and I have come. Very far. And um, I have, I hear the puppy in the background. I don't know if y'all can, but we have a new puppy. So she no. gets vicious on the backside. <laughs> my little yeah, she's so cute. She's like three weeks old. She's running around so. You might hear a little whimpering in the background. I'll try to edit it if I can. So shoot, where did your where did your story get started? Um, my story got started with moving back to the West Coast. I had been living all over the world and I um decided to go back to Oregon and live with some friends and just kind of live a peaceful what I thought would be a peaceful <laughs> uh, outdoors. I love to fish and hunt and just be a hike I don't know just kind of be one with the earth um and I just wanted to live this like peaceful simple life again I moved all over the place you know I mean I've just been everywhere a little bit of a military background so running around and you know you just get to a point where you're like man I just want to kind of chill so uh, my story started in Oregon and a small area a beautiful outdoor area and what I thought was going to just be this peaceful, simple life um, turned out to be mad chaos more than <laughs> I ever lived in my entire life. And and I thought, you know, that I was pretty well adjusted to just being alone or, you know, living my life on my terms. And I had been in relationships before that weren't the healthiest. You know, you, you recognize there's a problem. You try your best to remove that or fix it or, you know, whatever you're going to do, go through therapy, all of the things that you do and think about that could possibly help that. And when I had gone back to Oregon, I had, I had been living on the East Coast at the time, traveling around. Um, and I went back to the West Coast, to Oregon. And a friend of mine was like, you know, she knew I, I was like fresh off the boat is what I say, because I had like just rolled into town maybe had been back for three, four days. And a friend of mine was like, let's go have beers. And we have some really great pubs out there, good beer. And thought, well, we'll go out for a beverage and some dinner and just, you know, get my mind off of things. And um, she's like, oh, I want you to meet this guy. And I was like, sounds great, you know, but in my head, I wasn't thinking I want a relationship or anything. I've always been pretty independent and just hang out, you know, yeah, and you said you were like kind of chilling after the whole military background. So like, yeah. you were doesn't sound like you were really even looking for a relationship. No, at the time, no right? not at all. I wanted nothing to do with it. I'd been married and divorced before, and I hadn't been in a serious relationship since my divorce. I was probably single for four years. I mean, you know, you have the casual like hang out with people or go on some dates, but never not like live in or any type of things like that. You know, mm-hmm. so 
Um, so your your friend wants you to meet this guy. Yeah, like I don't see need this guy, and um, he's a mechanic, and I have a apparently a history for <laughs> um, men that work with their hands, just you know that like outdoors hunting, fishing, etc. So I was like, okay, you know, we have some things in common, and my biological father is a um, has a shop his whole life, worked on old hot rods and things. So that was her like. There's a hot rod show. You guys, you know, you guys can talk about that. Anyway, that was like the how we're going to connect. How did, how did that friend know him? Um, she had done it for years. It, it's not a big town. Um, supposedly at the time, which we are not, I'm no longer friends with her anymore. But um, at the time. I hope not. <laughs> at the time, she had never told me. Uh, that happens later in my story after I'm hooked and connected. Um, that she had actually dated him and it just didn't work out. Weird. But he kept her around his supply. You know, it just speaks to the kind of cal you know what's going on in my head? Speaks to the kind of caliber that she is for putting him off on you. And then also it speaks to his caliber because you're kind of the new girl in town. And I yeah. bet because it's a small town, people are kind of keen to his bullshit. But you're the new girl in town who's not keen to his bullshit. So he right. can squeeze you back in. Right. The ironic thing is, though, I had lived there before, but not, it's almost like there was a new, you cycle through, you know, towns kind of cycle through people, too. So I hadn't been there for a long time. And I'd also, you know, grown up and gone away. Like, I didn't still live the same lifestyle that I did, you know, running amok and, and whatever, you know, you're young, everybody's young ones. But, you know, I had gone, grown up and gone away and created a life for myself and a career and, you know, you, you've done things with your life. It's a little bit different. Right. So I was, uh, I knew enough people. He didn't know that though, you know, and I don't know what she had told him about me. The creepy thing for me was that she had sent him a picture of me before we'd met. And I didn't know that until that night. So that was like, what? You know what I mean? Like, you're just kind of like, well, that's weird to me. Cause I didn't have book or Social media. I just wasn't a big social media type person. So, and what were your like initial interactions with him like? So my initial interactions were like super chill. It was like I I have a little bit of the background that I come from like a food and beverage industry uh, management. So talking to norm to random strangers and um, creating connections with people are is not an issue for me whatsoever. I, I I'm very social anyway. So it's it wasn't awkward. You know, I can make it fun and and that's just my per my personality is very open and out there so it was easy to con to connect with them and talk to them and he it was easy for him to talk to me and connect with me and you know we talked about cars and we talked about Oregon and we talked about fishing and hunting and I mean we all sat around there for hours we talked about craft beer and you know good food wine travels things like that so the first so the first interaction was yeah. overall pretty good right yeah Really? And then how did how did you sort of like continue the relationship into a something, a quote unquote something? Well, we just kind of texted, you know, um, we just started texting and it would go from, you know, good morning, beautifuls and good night and those kinds of things to, hey, do you want to come over? You know, things like that. I knew he had two kids, which I think is always funny because when I listen to your podcast or any of the ones I listen to, it's always the kids. Like they get us the kids. Um, yeah, <laughs> that he, I can't have children. So for me, it's always been an easy connection with children. I just because you have that maternal instinct, and you know, you I'm sure you were great to his kids. Yeah, absolutely, very much so. And so, and he had two girls, and I mean, you know, like I said, I moved. I moved to settle down and calm down and not live a fight or flight life because that's really what you do live when you're a military spouse. Or for me, it was just, you know, easy and calming. So one of the things that I learned later, but I didn't really understand at the time, because I, I tend to be a fast mover too, because I'm just like, I've lived all over. I've done a lot of things. We're not getting younger. So let's just do this or not. You know what I mean? Like, that's just kind of my how just, deep, how many, how many, like, I'm sure it was only months. It wasn't years. I know my brain. I know too many of these stories. How many months was that when that happened? Um, It wasn't. <laughs> it was like, it was like two weeks. 
I know. Irving yeah. wanted you to like take care of the kids, didn't he? He was like, hey, do you want to go have um, drinks and dinner? And we'll catch up. And I'm like, yeah, sure. Before dinner even gets to the table, he's like, so I'm not getting any younger. And he's like, are we going to do this or what? Because I really like you. And, and he didn't say it that rough. You know what I mean? Like maybe not that straightforward. But basically that's the gist of what the, the conversation was. And I was like, what do you mean? Are we going to do what? <laughs> so, so when he said, are we going to do this? Yeah. Is this like, are we going to be boyfriend and girlfriend? Or did he that... propose to you in two weeks? <laughs> no, he did not propose to me in two weeks. Thank goodness. But it's, um, it was, let's be boyfriend and girlfriend. Um, and that's why I think I was like, what do you mean? What are we going to do? Like, you want to get married tomorrow? Cause that's too fast. But, but you know, I don't know because I, I have a dad who moved very fast in all of his relationships. So I don't put these two things together though until later on in, in my story. Well, that's part of the love bombing stage for sure. Absolutely. And I didn't understand it. So um, I don't know just for people's reference, but if I, I'm ADHD, I'm learning that there's so many similar traits. So sometimes they can be mistaken for each other. So like here I was questioning am I a narcissist? I'm not, but I am ADHD. So I tend to just kind of like, I don't know, move fast or, you know, some of those traits are things that I do do. Act kind of like whimsically, like yeah. on a whim. Yeah. Yeah, very much. But you're also, and you're also a big empath too. Like you're, you're a bleeding heart and, and you mix the two together and you're, you're a narcissist wet dreams. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Literally. Um, so I attack them. But long story short, so. Uh, a short story long, whatever you call it. <laughs> um, I would probably introduce to his kids within two weeks. Um, wow. Yeah. And what was that first interaction like? Um, traumatizing. <laughs> so this is when it, I should have just ran, but I didn't because I, again, have this empathy of the other people. I think about other people before I think about myself constantly. I, I always yeah. have. And, um, it also, you know, falls back on like my faith and, and just my beliefs and when it comes to that. And so I'm there, I go to the house, I pull up, I've got Tennessee plates, I've got blacked out car, like have blacked out windows, black, you know, they have a nice little whip. Um, you see it, it's, it doesn't belong in a tiny agricultural town. You know what I mean? Like um, it attracted a lot of attention to the street because my car within 10 to 15 minutes of me being at his house ended up on one of those lovely Facebook gossip sites. Oh God, I can't stand the Pleasantville one. <laughs> so this is, this should have been my first clue. It's, there's a problem, but it is what it is. So I am there, I meet his kids. I thought it was weird that we didn't go to like a public place that I went to his house, but. Well, let me ask this important question. Yeah. Did you know his ex-wife? No, apparently he wasn't married. They were just together. Okay. Well, oh, did no. you know the baby mama? No. Uh -uh. Where was she? She or is still... or are we are we putting the cart in front of the horse here? No, you're good. Yeah, he lived yeah. there. I didn't know that she was around, but she apparently knew who I was through the grapevine, so to speak. But I didn't worse. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, sounds like we both were in Pleasantville. <laughs> yeah, literally. Yeah, out of that. How did that whole interaction with his kids go? You said traumatizing. Traumatizing. I'll yes. talk a little bit about more, that more. So apparently, um, what I didn't know was about to happen was my car was going to get broken into outside of the house. So we were in the house and we hear the dog, because he had a dog, um, start barking really loudly. And I'm, I had only been in there for maybe 15 minutes. I'd been to the house, if that. Um, we go outside and I kind of expect the car. Well, it's dark, you know, by now it's darker in the evening. It was very strange. It was like they tried to pry in where the door, like above the door handle. So I'm like, what? This is so weird. First of all, again, I am familiar with this town. I walked across the town in heels drunk before back in the olden days. You know what I mean? Like what's <laughs> happening right now? Like it's never been an unsafe. And you're like, I don't have any enemies. Yeah, I don't have any enemies. I, I feel like I'm at this guy's house and somebody... I mean, could be a, could be a one-off isolated incident or there could be more to this. So I'm thinking like maybe, you know, it's just gotten a little bit rougher than it used to be, you know, because I'd heard some stories, but I've never had a problem there. You know, I've left, it's a town where you can leave the door open or unlocked and you're probably not going to have any issues, you know? So I'm like, what? And and he's acting shocked. Okay. That's, that's the crazy part. 
I feel crazy. And I'm like, I don't have any enemies. And it's almost like he, you know, then the kids were like getting chiming in on it, which they're not going to say anything, even if they thought it was this his ex, another girl that he had just been seeing as I'll tell you that in just a second. But my brain is like, what is happening right now? I don't know anybody here that would ever do that to me. And I have no enemies here. So, I mean, you always have enemies you don't know about, I guess. But but like, it just this doesn't make any sense. So naturally, I call the police. So that's how my evening starts of meeting them. So this is traumatizing because now you've created, I call it a trauma bond from the get-go. But that's just me. Yeah. Now, you're the hero. and But it was just a very like sickening feeling in your stomach. And you're like, what is going on? And then you don't feel safe. But then there's somebody there that's going to make you feel safe, right? So then that creates a bond. And so that was like the initial red flag. Did the red flags sort of start mounting on each other? Yeah, I think they more so just started mounting on each other. So, so you know, we go, we have a good time, whatever. We put it behind us. And I'm like, well, you know, I'm a firm believer um, in the Second Amendment. So I wasn't totally scared, but like, I was good. You know, I was I was going to be okay. I've traveled all over the world by myself a lot. You know, I'll be fine. But it was just very like, this is odd. You know, like I wouldn't walk by myself at night now because who knows what's going on or who I pissed off. We go to dinner. It's a great, you know, the great rest of the night, right? But I don't stay the night because I personally, no matter what he was going to say, which he didn't say anything, but um, I wasn't comfortable with that. His kids are staying there. I don't think it's appropriate, you know, back. I, now, I'm not working because I like just moved there. Right. So I haven't I had an interview the next day, but but nothing crazy. So I was like, oh, I'll bring myself to the interview, you know, and then maybe I'll say, hey, let's have lunch or something. And he works just down the road from where I was interviewing. I'm in this mode. I'm ready to go. And I get a text message and my I don't see the message. I see my car license plate and back end pop up on a picture of um, one of my cousins sends me and I'm like, and it's a Facebook screenshot. So my car is in Facebook gossip. I'm like, what? And I read it before I walk into that interview. I didn't bomb the interview. Thank God I was able to get over it. But I was like, what is happening? I've been in town for maybe, you know, what, four weeks, like total. But at this point, I, I, it just, you, you get this uneasy feeling. My car almost got, or my car gets broken. And so I'm thinking, okay, well, maybe it's just somebody's broke into my car and they're putting it on Facebook, right? Nope. So then I get the next screenshots that I get. I'm in the interview. I go through my interview. You know, everything's going. I get more screenshots. I don't see them until I get out of the interview. But through the entire time that my phone's going off, I'm freaking out because I can see that there are screenshots of comments. Well, I learned that when I get out of my interview, I finally look at my phone and all of those comments are like, she just moved to town. You need to leave her alone. Da, da, da. Like it's going on and on. And this girl names un to not be said and somebody that I deal with for the next five years of my life, by the way, um, one of them starts talking crap about me. I don't know her. I do not know her. I've never met her in my life. Ironically, though, she um, was also from Tennessee and I had ended up in Tennessee a couple times. So I'm like, what is happening right now? Like, I don't know these people. They're talking crap about me. They don't know anything about my life. And they're like talking about how I just came to town and I'm stealing people's man and blah, blah, blah. Like, and they're, they're just going on. There's trash talking for lack of a better word. It's just ignorant. They don't know anything about me. Or- what, you know, it's funny. Um, and I'm just kind of paraphrasing here because yeah. I'm not on it. So I don't know shit about it. But I think, like, there's certain Facebook groups out there that, like, uh, kind of put men on blast. And women can sort of, like, hey, yeah, I dated that guy and I dated that guy. And you guys can all, could, like, I've heard about this, that you guys can yeah. all, like, comment on this one guy. I know that I'm not on there. Thank God. No. <laughs> but, um, yeah, like, so I've heard about that. And, like, maybe, you know, he's kind of got a bit of a reputation. And then you're the new girl in town. But it speaks probably to your character if you're hanging out with him, according to these other gossip hounds. Absolutely. And and you're 100% correctly. So that's when I just, I, I wasn't on Facebook. You know what I mean? So like, and I still didn't get on Facebook at that point. Like I had gotten rid of Facebook. I don't know. I'd probably been Facebook free for maybe a year or two, I want to say. It was always drama. And, maybe- and here you are being put on blast and you're like, the fuck did I do because here literally and i'm like i have only been here for like you know less than 30 days i 
don't even work yet and god forbid but that's gonna affect you left when you left that job interview did you go to him and be like what the fuck is up with these comments yeah so listen i'm i'm trying not to be the crazy girl (laughs) but i am a bold i have a backbone um i have no problem being like wtf you know what i mean like straight uh, i don't know if i can swear on here but like what the yeah yeah I know you do, but I just like. So you confronted him on it, or what? Absolutely, and and I'm I'm the asshole that said, "Hey, are you free for lunch?" And he's like, "Yeah," and I'm like, "Cool," and I'm like, "I'm gonna leave this particular um, place, which is only like a block from his work." And I was like, "I'll just walk down and we'll have lunch." He's like, "We'll grab a sandwich and drink and meet in the park." And I'm like, "Sounds great." So I walk to his work um, and meet him kind of like by the corner, and we walk to there's a park just down the road, so we walk there and we eat. And, I was like, how am I going to say this without being crazy? Because my initial reaction was, I don't know what the hell's going on, but I don't want anything to do with it. Maybe this is just a misunderstanding. The thing that caught me off guard was that he noticed that something was wrong right away. So he's like, are you all right? And I'm like, not really. And I was like, I'm just, we just need to visit about this situation. And I was like, my car for one. And he's like, oh yeah, I got a buddy that does auto body. I'll have him look at him. Like, and that's not that's not what I'm talking about. I'll take care of my own car. I'm not worried about that. And I just said, listen, this is the messages I got from my cousin today. And I want to know what this is and who this woman is and what's going on and what what am I walking into? You know what I mean? Like, did you guys just break up? Have you been broken up for a while? Well, according to his first story about this, he they had been broken up for a while, but she just couldn't, she just couldn't get over it. And you know, she was in a bad place and she had been through really bad relationships before. So then I'm like, what is happening? You know what I mean? Like still to this in my head, I'm like, what is happening? Because his words weren't, were still not matching actions. And like, what? Well, and it's like narcissist 101 that she just can't get over me. And, you know, like that kind of shit. And yeah. So like, that's the explanation he gave you. Right. Yeah. That was the, that was literally the explanation he gave me. And he's like, we're just friends, you know, um, she has kids and the kids. We're just friends. I mean, she tried to break into your car, but it's okay. Cause we're just friends. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Fuck you. If I had, I was like, run. And every bit of me was like, run, like just run, just fucking run. And so he love bombed you. He love bombed you in the beginning. He introduced you to his kids. So you thought that meant something. Two weeks into it, he's telling you that, like, you're the one. He also gave you the I'm not getting any younger speech. So, like, you think that this means something to him. So, like, I can see why you would, in your head, you're like, this feels wrong. But then there's also these things that sort of suckered me back in. Right. Right. So then, okay, so then if I back up just a tiny bit here, my faith and my, you know, like, I pray a lot and I truly believe that people are put in your life for a reason, no matter what the reason, regardless of good, bad, and evil. Um, I I really do. I think that there's either a lesson to be learned or a lesson that you teach them or, I mean, I just think that there's always a, a reason for something. Um, you know, this is a good part to anecdotally drop in. Uh, like, I did early episodes in the beginning of the podcast and you are the one who gave me my mantra, I'm going to see a victory because of that Christian rock song you sent me. And uh, yeah, like, so that my kids love that song. Two years later, we're still singing it. I just wanted to thank you for that because, you know, I'm not, a, I'm kind of an agnostic guy. I do believe in something greater. I just don't know what it's called. But that song that you put me on turned into a huge mantra. I love it. That's awesome. So thank you. You're, you're welcome. And I think that it was like it was given, I, I know that it was, for me, when I had first heard it, such an empowerment, regardless of your spiritual background or your religious beliefs, it, it doesn't matter. You know, we all believe in something, regardless of what that something is. And and I think it was just a matter of you believe in yourself. And if you believe in yourself, then you know there's going to be a victory at the end of that, regardless of what you're doing or what your how your life leads in that path. You have to believe that there's something there at the end. Yeah, so, like going back into your faith, like. That's another reason that kept you there because like, again, you believe in the good in people. So he's, he's giving you these reasons and you're sitting there going, well, I think I know you. So I'm going to believe that you have good intention. And I wear my heart on my sleeve. Anybody will tell you, anybody that knows me, um, I am 100% who I am and I trust you until you give me a reason not to trust you. And then, and then I am my, my trust bank is always full 
until you empty it. And that's like a good thing and a bad thing. You know, like some people tell you, you got to earn the trust bank. I'm completely the opposite. And and it is because of my faith. So, and I'm very open about that. And then I'll never not be, not to the point of like making people uncomfortable and like touching them and praying that, you know, like those kinds of things. I think I do pray for people, but, but I just, you know, I'm just, I just have this, this moment where I'm freaking out because of what was going on. If I kind of wrap this back into it, but at the same time, I know my faith and my back and I'm like, well, there's a reason for everything, you know? And, and I feel bad for her. I feel bad for her because he made me feel bad for her, but that she's lost or she felt like there was more than there was, or, you know, like, I don't know, I guess I just made excuses for the situation. So and- when did you, when did it occur to you that he might be the problem? Um, well, <laughs> I don't know. I think it took me a little longer than it probably should have, to be honest. <laughs> I think that I was going through, you know, I, again, I knew, I wouldn't say I was, I was new to town, back to town, you know, like coming back, but I was going through so much personal stuff and trying to readjust myself and like, what am I going to do with my life? There, it's expensive in Oregon and it's California prices. It's, it's ridiculous. And so now I'm like, do I live with my friend forever? Or do I look forward to my, you know, future and maybe possibly a future with this individual? Well, we've had lots of conversations and they always turn into deep conversations with him. And I never thought for one second that he was mirroring me or, you know, like taking on my personality at that point. I thought that it was genuinely very similar to mine and things that I wanted. Um, but what I didn't know is that he had asked other people about me at this point now. So he knows I've been there before. He starts talking to my friend at the time about what I want in my life and, and whatever. And then that is what he starts creating. A person- Why did he talk to you about that? Well, you start dating and you talk about like, you know, what's your perfect date or the things that you like to do. And, and we're kind of like out in the country. So everything just was kind of magical. Like. Um, the area is a valley. It's very clear skied and we're surrounded by, you know, multiple mountain ranges. So he takes me on this date and it just, you know, feels like the perfect date. Right. So then I'm like, oh, I've prayed about this. You know what I mean? So you just kind of like you start to take what you've prayed about in life and then you just feel like, well, this is meant to be. Yeah, you think you're like, I remember in one of my early episodes, I said, you would have, if you're a religious person, you would have thought you prayed this into existence. And here you are saying, like, I've literally prayed about this. This is beautiful. And I think, like, this is my one. This is what I've waited for. Right. And Despite now, all the red flags. And you're also like, I don't want to start over because you had that. I'm not getting any younger speech, you know? Yeah. So I'm like, it's perfect. It's a, it's got, I felt like, okay, God knows that I can love these children. And they didn't, the worst part, I goodness forbid it's if anybody ever heard this and knows these people, but um, they didn't have a good mom. I'll be really honest, and and that's not for me to judge that to to some degree. I I understood what I was dealing with on that level because I was introduced to them so early. Um, she wanted to meet me right away, which was perfectly fine, and and I'm sure she, um, based off where she worked and and who she knew, um, she was able to, you know, kind of ask around and figure out who I was and maybe what I was about to where she could feel comfortable with the girls. Uh, I got them very young too. his kids. They were in the elementary school age. So I was able to, you know, bond with them in a different level. And then I basically helped raise them because I, um, I stuck around for five years, (laughs) but I, yeah, I mean, I did. I felt like I prayed that into existence. I felt like everything that I ever wanted was happening. And I had been through so much crap, um, trauma and turmoil and loss. But I mean, like I wanted a calm, chill, nine to five, go home, make dinner, have a family, do boring, not so much boring, but just mundane things, like just things that normal people did. Not worry about, do I get to celebrate Christmas with my family or am I alone again, even though I'm in a relationship, you know? And then you had, so you had this hike with him and you thought like you prayed it into existence yeah. and then how did it go from there? Um, so then it was just, you know, dreamland really like looking back, I can see little things now thinking about it. Like, oh man, why didn't I see that? The temper maybe 
a little bit, you know, got a little bossy, um, but I'm a strong willed kind of person. So like at the same time, right. like I'm a little bossy. So maybe I got too bossy with him, you know, like you start to, start to kind of question your own reality, right? That gap lighting. Um, <laughs> that it, you start to question, like, maybe it's me, you know, maybe I'm the problem because I have been by myself for so long or, you know, maybe my personality was coming across to him a little different. You start to question your own sanity, how you're feeling and what's going on. So was there a point that like, like the bossiness kind of like tipped the scale or how did it start to go downhill? Not for a while. So actually to be to be honest, what started to go downhill was Facebook and social media, texting, calling periods of not answering my calls for a long time and then saying like oh i went for a walk with the kids um and the dog or something but then my friend i almost said her name um would be like i just saw so and so at this particular place and i was like what he said he was doing this and she's like no i i literally just saw on my way home there's there's one main street you know what i mean like like i said it is a small town it's it's not that big. With the kids alone or? No, no kids. The kids are with their mom. Mm-hmm. So, you know, then I'd be like, hey, what are you up to? And he'd be like, oh, I'm just getting ready to get into the house. I stopped by. Uh, I was walking with the kids and I dropped them off their moms, but I stopped by to have a beer at this place. Because at that point, he's probably figured out that he saw the other person. Because you're going to. So I don't know if anybody's a car person <laughs> that's watching this, but you know people buy cars. So like. If I met you and I, but I don't really know you, but I'll tell you exactly what you drove and what color it was. And what okay, yeah, I know people like that. Yeah, and and if I I got to the point, I mean, I know what his vehicle sounded like. So at some point in my story, I I still get anxiety if I hear a similar sound of his vehicle. Like if I hear that sound, it it triggers something in me because I recognize those things and I associate those things in my nervous system with trauma and chaos. And <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's what I associate them with. So because of what I went through later, but that that was when I started to question a little bit. But then at the same time, like, oh, that's about, you know, whatever. Like, don't be crazy because I had been cheated on in the past. So um, my ex-husband was in the military. My first husband, excuse me, was in the military and had cheated on me through letters while he was downrange in Afghanistan. And I didn't know until later. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah. Like with a very close friend of mine, I never really caught. I mean, some people might not consider that cheating, but I consider that cheating. You are talking. It's an emotional. It's an emotional. I mean, it might not be a physical thing, but it's an emotional investment in something else. So that is cheating. Did you find this guy cheating? Um, Not right away. Not right away. I found some scenarios or some things, but I didn't want to be crazy. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't want to be labeled crazy. And I thought if I react, and I don't give him the benefit of the doubt, right? Because he hasn't given me reason. He's posting me all over Facebook. I don't even have Facebook. And he's still- shit suspicious. Like, where there's smoke, there's fire. Right. So I don't think anything of it, really. But then I'm like, hmm. because And I wasn't fresh out of a marriage. It's not, you know, I had been single for years. But I still had this, I don't know if I'm comfortable with this. But then at the same time, like, he hasn't given me a reason not to trust him, right? So- I felt like I needed to just back off and play it a little cool. So then we start hanging out more. And instead, and I just told him, I think at one point I said, I don't know. And I'm not accusing you of cheating by any means, but I do feel uncomfortable because of my past. And here's what's happened in my past. Right. So we've had a lot of conversations about my past, but you know, some things you just don't get into detail until you really connect with somebody on a different level. We're going into maybe a month, two months of dating. And it was like we saw each other every night. So even after he gets done drinking or whatever that was going on, I saw him that later that night, you know. So it's just, nothing ever really added up 100%. But then at the same time, I felt like it was me, not him. But he probably made me feel like that in a way when you think about what they well, do. But it is making you feel crazy for yeah. suspected. A true, a true form of gaslighting is making somebody feel crazy for suspecting something that turns out to be true. Oh, I mean, I could talk for hours because, you know, you've heard my story. It goes on and it and but then at this point, you know, you're hooked and you're so trauma bonded, I guess, would be the correct term that you 
still making excuses for everything. Like, I, I mean, I was with him for five years off and on and married him three years in still. Like, what was I thinking? You know what I mean? Looking back now. Yeah. But at the time, it makes sense. Like, it almost feels like a movie to, to some point, but then really bad one. I don't know. But, but you, I always say it's a lifetime movie for sure. <laughs> oh gosh. Like Hallmark life and horror all rolled into one. So but, what was like the, the straw that broke the camel's back? My straw that broke the camel's back was fast forward. Pandemic happens. We go through this back and forth, back and forth. At one point, it was my brother, like it's all chaos. I always get sucked back in. Everybody tells me not to go, but then he comes and charms his way back with everybody. Um, my parents included. Um, I'm driving across the United States. He still pulls me back. And then pandemic happens. And we basically are like, we had been married. We got married. We got engaged. We got married. Courthouse stuff. You know, like, I'm pretty simple. Like, I wouldn't, I just don't, I just didn't want to spend much money on a wedding. That's just not who I am. And um, he decides that um, three weeks later, he's going to cheat and file for divorce. So then we get divorced. Um, After three fucking weeks? Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, holy shit. Then he, then he doesn't file the, then he's like drops it, doesn't want to file the divorce. We go through a restraining order in there. Um, He comes back around. We try to make it work. And then I think, and and this is no joke. And I know it sounds crazy. Trust me. Um, We were probably married for three months, four months, I think, total. And, his excuse was always he only had a relationship with his dad his mom was never around she was like super um depressive and manic and like i'll bet that's not true i'll bet that's not true though well that's what i'm thinking so like that's the story he told you but i'll bet right there's some mental illness in the family and i don't really know how far it stems but there was some some stuff going on but yeah so at that point um you know it is what it is so we're separated i go live with a friend i start going back to church more and even by myself when you're going through all that you trust god but then sometimes you're like what is happening you start to question your relationship your higher power um and yourself so i leave the situation i go back to what i know and to be familiar and my healing process and and it starts to work well then he wants forgiveness and he wants to come back around and um i'm like well there's some i believe that people can come to jesus and change if they want to but you're gonna have to do some things and i'm not saying like there was like an ultimatum or like i'm giving him rules but i told them that like you that's between you and god like that's the simple common decency is you don't fucking cheat on your wife three right. weeks after you're goddamn married really, really right yes i understand and but i'm such a forgiving person and he's so good at getting me to believe that he's genuinely sorry and it's the crying and the sobbing and the i'm just sitting on the porch and he's like bawling his head off talking about how sorry he is and he's just fucked up and all this stuff and mover and i felt fertile and then i'm like can i pray with you you know what i mean and then he starts coming to church and i start seeing these changes that i ever saw before and things that i've never told him to do that he just starts doing and so i forgive him right and then we do it again we get married again (laughs) um oh dear god i feel like i'm that person so then the pandemic happened. That's when the pa- and I work on the road. I ended up taking a job that was back on the road because that's just what I, my gypsy soul was so used to. So uh, intercoastal cruise lines. I take him back. This time I thought I was going to be single, so I took you know an on the road job because of that mostly. But then you know I'm like okay, well we're going to make this work with this job because I genuinely loved my job. I work on the east coast. My cruise is on the east coast. I live on the west coast, and we're going to make this marriage work, which I'm an idiot because. Now I'm just giving him all of this time and freedom to go cheat on any point in time he wants. And I would never know. I would never know because I'm on the road on a cruise for six weeks at a time and home for three weeks. But I want to believe that I live in a small enough town that somebody's going to say something. If you see something, you say something. That's not the case. They saw the kind of car he drove. (laughs) (laughs) Other women's house, right? Well, it happens to actually, to be honest, it was two women that he rotated through. So his his narcissistic supply was always two women. The ironic thing is I have now been narc-free um, for, well, at least when in my relationship life. Um, 
for two years and he is pulling the same game all the way across the United States. With- but it's easy because no one's really there to check up on him and there's no checks and balances. One question I have, though, is how how did you discover narcissism? So my discovery of narcissism was when I, after the pandemic and I'd come back, uh, we moved across the United States and the things kept happening and they stuck back in. And um, I was with my pastor having uh, I've been with multiple of my pastors, like having meetings and therapy and things, you know, like and one of the ladies in church was part of that. And I thought what he it was something that he brought up and it it was more along the lines of like possessiveness or, uh, you know, some things in the Bible. I'm not not good enough. I'm not going to quote the Bible on here by any means. But there were some things that I have read in the Bible or that he had taught me, you know what I mean, to to call out and like understand that there was some, something going on with him dark inside. And so I wanted to believe that versus, again, narcissism wasn't really big. And so then I had seen some things somebody had sent me and it said something about narcissism. And I was like, what is narcissism? You know what I mean? Like, I hear this word, I keep hearing this word. So I started looking it up and I looked it up on Instagram before I looked it up on anything else when I first discovered it. And I was mind blown because I was like, how do they know him? You know what I mean? Like, who who is this? Totally. I, I, I never, I can't understate how cool and disturbing and relieving, but also like panic. It's this weird all over like flurry of emotions when you can put the actions to words like love bombing and that sort of stuff. Like I think people probably think I'm dramatic the way I talk about it, but I know for me that moved mountain. Absolutely. But I think that it is dramatic, Mac. Like it is dramatic. That's the thing. Like it's so... It's so intense, no matter what it is. Because, because it's our whole lives. Absolutely. It's it's our day-to-day, what we experience every minute, every hour. And now we're like, yeah, oh, I know what I've been feeding into. Right, right. And I'd had, I'd had program words. I'm going to call them program words because I had been in a program that had kind of given me a taste of therapy words. So it wasn't foreign to me to understand that there was some trauma in my life and trauma bonding. Trauma bonding was a word I had heard well before I ever even knew what a narcissist was. And I had had trauma in my past. So at this point, I was already doing some self-work with understanding who my biological father was, which, yes, I had a relationship with him, but not to the extent of a safe, loving relationship. And he was just a partier. He wasn't a bad, I mean, he really wasn't a bad guy, but he wasn't a good guy either. You know, like, um, he was more worried about partying and women and cars. And, um, I didn't put all that together though, because I wanted a relationship with him so bad. I had a stepdad that raised me, amazing stepdad, but I still have this yearning for a connection with my father, you know, like biological father. So I didn't put all of that together, but I did understand trauma. I understood trauma bonding. I understood love bombing, you know, things like that. Gifts, um, love languages, different things. Well, like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but, yeah. you know, because of that, you probably had a desire for like a loving male presence. Absolutely. And I probably was a little bit more, but I've never been codependent. So I didn't understand. I don't consider myself very codependent. And I, yeah, I know, I know what you're saying. You, they're just really good. Like when I hear like, oh, all, you know, for calling ourselves empaths or also codependents, I don't necessarily agree with that. Yeah. I and mean, probably as I've grown up, I think I've kind of shed that a bit. Yeah. I don't know. No, that sort of gets to my therapy session. No, I guess. But, I, but it is, we've had these, I mean, you and I have had conversations for hours and days about this. And as you go through your healing process and your journey, you start to really unfold all of those layers. You don't, it doesn't just stem from one thing. It's not like, oh gosh, how did I just end up in this situation? You know, like there's a random aha moment that I had when I understood the controlling part. If you're in a very, very much in control of your position or your, maybe your job life or your day-to-day what's going on. That sometimes when you come home or you in your personal life, you just want to lay that all down and somebody else take control. So for me, that was a positive quality that somebody can kind of take control of the situation and I didn't have to think about it. You know what I mean? So I didn't look at that as a negative thing. And so when I start piecing those things together now, that was my, remember you said like, what was my first clue? Well, it was the controlling part. It was the bossiness. It was 
those things that I kind of thought that might be a red flag, but then I also kind of enjoyed that, which sounds slightly sadistic because I wanted somebody to tell me what to do. I didn't want to have to think about it because I've always been in so many power positions or where I'm the person that they come to and like, okay, what are we doing, Mel? You know what I mean? Like, what's the next move? What do we got going on? And my doctor now, and I'm going to say my actual doctor, which is so ironic to me, not my therapist, calls it um, fight or flight mode my whole life. I have been in fight or flight mode my whole life. So when fight or flight mode comes into my life in romantic partners or jobs or anything else, I thrive in chaos. My job with the army was chaos. Oh, I surely do. All of it. And and I and I like it. It's a challenge, maybe. I don't know. So so understand you know, it's just our normal. It's a, it's our normal. Like, you know, and I've had people ask me too, like, when things are peaceful, do you feel a need to cause chaos? And I'm like, no, but that's like so few and far between. Like most of my life is chaos. Yeah. Um, you know. I'm thinking of a story and correct me if I'm wrong, but you were, you were telling a story about control and man, I hope my memory serves me correctly. Yeah. I remember a story between him, the kids and you working at a coffee shop. Yes. Can you tell that story briefly? Yeah. When I was working at the coffee shop and then he would try to bring them in. He always used the kid. Well, that was like just in general, anytime his way to come back in was the kids oh, we miss Mel. Or the kids would come to where I work and that would be the back to that, you know, because then you start, you see the kids and you start thinking about all the things you've been through and all the things you've done, you know, and I was very close. And didn't they like draw pictures or something and put them up on the window for you? I remember that story. I remember you were so upset. I Yeah, I remember that. I remember that, you know, when we started talking, that was really, I mean, a lot of people can relate to this, you know, when you're call it a step parent and yep. you lose the kids and i remember how traumatizing that was for you because you truly genuinely loved those children i remember yeah. i think honestly looking back now that i'm out of it and i take everything that i went through and i don't even have enough time to touch on what i've been through maybe someday i'll write a book i don't know i keep saying i won't and then i say i do but like the amount of chaos that he's put me through and him disappearing to towns and states and then coming back and like what do you do because it's so caught off guard like one day he's there the next thing he's not and then all of a sudden this stuff's back in the house and he's back and he's like begging for my forgiveness and I took him back every time because I'm supposed to be Christ-like and I'm supposed to love him no matter what and I just prayed for him all the time and I prayed for myself don't get me wrong but then I started to understand like that I'm a doormat and this isn't okay and and it just kept going, you know what I mean? And and I did go crazy. Like there was there was times that I reacted that I'm not proud of by any means. But at the same time, I was also being taunted by those other women. And I I don't understand. I wish that somebody would have intervened a little stronger. Like, you know, the police were involved several times. And they were the ones that first slipped me a piece of paper that said Mayday. And I had no idea that. I, I think that may be where I really learned that what I was going through was emotional and mental abuse, but he didn't hit me. Right. So it was OK. And it wasn't. But that but my first husband was physically abusive. So I didn't look at this like abuse. I looked at this like a lost puppy that needed help. He's such like a chameleon shapeshifter going around the country, living multiple lives. Like you said, mirroring what he thought you wanted it's completely understandable how you would find yourself in that predicament. So fast forward to today, I don't live anywhere near that person at all. Um, that person I might now know where I'm at, but I kept that a secret phone number, everything so private for so long as to my whereabouts or what state I'm in or, you know, any of those things. Um, and I go, I fast forward to today and a situation happened where he left one day and I called my landlord. I said, can I change the locks? And then that was when I was done. I was just done. And I probably should have walked away two years before. But for whatever reason, I did what I did. And I changed the locks. And I didn't look back. And I had no contact since then, unless it was with a lawyer or police officer. Um, or through a third party, like my mom or somebody that yeah. need to know. And that was it. Almost like you have a custody case and like... Like, like I just silenced myself. I just wasn't going to talk. Yeah, but I just remember, I remember you being so scared too of him coming, even because you knew, he knew where you were and you were fucking 
scared to death. That um, yeah. And let me say why, because, um, yeah, he wasn't physically abusive during the relationship, but towards the very end there, that's when it got physically abusive. And I think that was my breaking point because I have, that is what, that was one thing that I can honest to God say that I've never tolerated. The minute you hit me, flip something at me, throw something at me, we're done. We're done or I'm coming at you. Like, I mean, they're going to fight back or I'm going to drop. Totally fair. Yeah. But at this, in this particular circumstance, I was done and the alcohol got worse. The, the drinking got excessive. Then the drinking would turn into blackout chaos and throwing of flipping of, I say flipping and throwing stuff because the table would get flipped or he would run off into the bushes. Like somebody was chasing. It was very strange and bizarre. And then he would call the cops and then say that I was the one causing a problem. And I'm like sitting on the porch crying, talking to my mom. You know what I mean? Like it was so weird. And, and the kids went around because they stayed with their mom when we moved and during the pandemic, they were just around when the, you know, the court allowed them to be basically our our visitation time. So, you know, all summer or things like, and they were older at this point, like they were young when I got them and now they're 18 and grown and out of house. I pretty much helped raise them. I stuck around probably for them really. Whether they, you know, appreciate it or remember me or whatever, but there's a lot of things. Like my parents had contact with them up until just recently. And that was hard for me. But at the same time, like it wasn't fair for me to rip them away from them either because my battle was my battle. My parents don't have contact with them anymore, but like one tries to reach out to my mom occasionally. She never responds. And I'm sure that breaks her heart too. But there was this point where recent, most recently, the day that I messaged you and I was like, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to talk about this. That he had started dating one of my mom's friend's friends or something weird. And I don't know how much, you know, all the narcissists, there's so many different aspects of a narcissist. Um, in this particular case, this kind of narcissist that he is, and I couldn't even tell you he's like covert or anything like that, maybe, but um, he he targets close connections no matter what. He will he will get on dating sites and he will do something like maybe that's where we spend our first anniversary. That's where he's going to take that person on his first date. Um, For sure. They recycle the same ideas over and over and over. Absolutely. And I don't know if that's for all narcissists or not, but like I know. Yeah, I can remember. So like when we were dating, um, you know, she's my neck said that she wanted to go see the sunrise or something. So. Uh, it was like five o'clock in the morning and I took her to New York City and we we went to like the, the George Washington Bridge, which connects New York to New Jersey, overlooking yep. the skyline. And then long, you know, I got blankets and coffee and breakfast and everything. and We watched the sunrise. Fast forward to when she gets with Fireman John, I see, <laughs> you know, the kids would bring their iPads over and I would see that she was recycling that idea with her new boyfriend. I don't understand it, but I guess because we're not supposed to understand it, but it was, and it was, and it's creepy. That's when you start to realize the psychopathic way of it. And it was really hard for me when I first started. I mean, I'm not a doctor. I can't diagnose him. However, my therapist was sitting there telling me that I was right. You know what I mean? Like that I was a hundred percent right. And this was it. But then to some extent, my therapist was creeped out and she started bringing up psychopaths. And she genuinely diagnosed him without, I mean, she's a doctor, like she can't diagnose him without being his patient. You know what I mean? But like what we were heightening on and the things that she was printing out for me and sharing with me were describing a psychopath. And, and that's when I started to get even more scared because what are they capable of? You know, we see these beautiful, wonderful picture perfect families. And then all of a sudden the husband kills their wife or the wife kills the husband. I don't know. You know what I mean? But like, like bizarre things. And so you never really know. It doesn't matter. There's no look. There's no certain look, you know? Yeah. And that's when it started to get creepy. And yeah, I was terrified. There was a couple of times you and I talked. I mean, he would drive by the house, even though there was a restraining order and a very clear, you know, do not contact, do not contact, do not come. And I remember saying, I think the one time I want to say I hadn't had contact with him for two years, but I think that there was one time that he said something through somebody else's phone. Oh, I had like fake phone calls coming in. They were using phone. At one point they were using like text now or whatever those things are called. There's multiple of them. There wasn't just text now. It was easy to pretend like I was saying something to them. And then I was texting the other girl and there's all kinds of stuff. Like I had to get a lawyer to prove my high. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. 
Yeah. Like, like it, it was like, first of all, when do you have time to do this? You know what I mean? Like, you know, what's so funny that sticks out to me is the fact that the original story about the girl who broke into yeah. your car yeah. just couldn't get over him. And now he's getting AIs to fucking go and steal your voice. It's wild. It's wild. Literally, my phone number, they faked my phone number. Like, it like legitimately came up as my phone number. It was weird. I, I remember. Well, um, Mel, listen, we're coming to the end of the hour here, but just to take it like full circle, right? Like, thank yeah. you so much for being my first support system in all this. And there's a lot of people who listen to this podcast who are going through like similar stuff as you and I went through. What yeah. kind of advice would you give the person who's like being introduced to narcissism, um, you know, overcoming narcissism, perhaps they have some sort of faith-based thing that's keeping them in yeah. there. What kind of advice would you give those kind of people? I think the one thing as an empath or, or even if you're if you're in it right now and you don't know how to get out or whatever the case may be, trust your gut. You have to just trust your gut. I, I can't. Sometimes even when you trust your gut, you got to put a plan in action. Like you may not be able to just say, nope, I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore and walk away. Um, I know, you know, I have amazing parents. My parents were able to support me in a way that I never would have thought. I thought they're going to be disappointed or upset or or mad. And maybe you don't have that. Maybe you don't have parents, but maybe you have like a friend or uh, maybe you have nobody. You know, I don't know. Sure, people. Maybe you have an Instagram pen pal that you can confide in. Yeah, maybe maybe you see my Instagram and you just reach out and you need some help. There's a lot of local resources too. Um, there's more local resources than anybody can possibly imagine that I didn't even realize there was. And I'm going to tell you right now, put your pride away, especially if you're spiritual. God's got you. Allah, whoever it is that your person is, you know, find that even if you don't maybe believe in God. That doesn't mean God's not listening. Good advice. Yeah, whatever you got to do to make yourself feel better. But I think that the main thing is you got to find an outlet. Um, therapy isn't for the weak. Therapy's for the strong. I'm 110% firm believer in that. I love that. I think that weakness is what you choose to make it. And unfortunately, some of us have been raised in families where we've been taught that it's, you're not strong if you have to reach out to somebody else and your business is your business. But I don't think that that's the case anymore. And in a world where we do have so much more mental illness, it's not that we never had it before. It's been around for millions of years or thousands of years or however you want to believe it. But it's there and it's just more prominent and more we're more open about it nowadays. I think the taboo is kind of going away. Yeah. So reach out. I don't think that makes you weak. I think that it makes you strong. When you can say there's a problem and I need help, regardless of what that problem is, I think that that right there, because I know it was hard for me, pride. It was my pride. Like I couldn't swallow my pride. But my gut always told me something was off. And maybe it's not. Maybe that is a... You know, I, to this day, sometimes my gut is off because of what I've been through and that trauma that I've been through. Um, but trust yourself because when you start to trust yourself, that's when you're really going to understand that what is around you is um, trustworthy or not, I think. And find something that you can trust, whether it be a pastor, even if you're not spiritual religious, you know, Mayday, for instance, I don't know what it's called everywhere, um, but DHS is a huge resource. Um, I worked for DHS one point too. So do what? What's DHS? Oh, I'm sorry. So DHS is Department of Human Services, and every okay. single those are, you know, maybe you're like, I can't afford therapy. I trust me, I could not afford therapy. I still can. I have a wonderful job, but DHS, um, that Department of Human Services, wherever it may be in your town, every single town or county has one in the United States, no matter where. I'm you're. sure the police station could give you information on it. Yeah, absolutely. If you can't find it, that's going to be your number one resource to say, hey, I need some help. And maybe it's just finding a therapist. Yeah. Whatever you tell your therapist or you tell a therapist or whatever you talk to DHS about or maybe those things really are locked down. Like they can't share that information unless you are harmed to yourself or someone else, then they have a priority to reach out to their resources. But I think that's the biggest thing It's just you have to trust your gut and you have to know that if you feel like there's something wrong, there probably is something wrong. And you've yep. got to, that is, yeah. Well, I know when there was something wrong with me, I completely reached out to an absolute random stranger <laughs> and you just welcomed me in with open arms and let me verbally vomit through Instagram on you. And you were like, who the fuck is the macaroni king? And I'm like, <laughs> that's me. 
And like fast forward to two years later, like, man, like both of our lives, we, we, we text, you know, every now and then a couple, you know, once every couple of weeks. And we just both go like, it's like that Paul Rudd uh, gif was like, ah, look at us. Yeah. I thought, not me. Like, that's how you and I always interact. It's like, who would have thought? Like we came such a long way. So thank you so, so, so much for doing this episode with me. Um, again, if you want to follow her, her Instagram handle is narc, N-A-R-C dot I-S-S-I-S-T underscore survivor on Instagram. So if you guys want to check her out, you could follow her there. Reach out to her. Maybe she'll save save your life like she saved mine. So mm-hmm. thank, thank you so much. I really appreciate you. Well, I'm I'm sure I rambled a little bit and there's so much more of the story, but um, I promise you there's nobody's story that I haven't probably heard or lived through. Right. Yeah. I know. And it's been insane. So yeah, if you comment on one of my pictures in my post, I have some amazing followers that react to those too. So even if I don't see it, sometimes they see it. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of small time. I've I've dropped off of it a little bit. I've just been kind of finding my work-life balance currently um, right now. I've got a lot of critters running around. So um, not kids, but critters. And uh, I took a little bit of a break. Um, I'm back and and I'm there. So if you just need to reach out. All it takes is a little spark sometimes to sort of fire. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks again. Uh, Reach out to her on Instagram. You can reach out to me as well. And uh, until next time, everybody. I appreciate you. Bye. (laughs)